And there's somebody, I have it somewhere in my book, that said life is like a pendulum and you can only experience the level of um, happiness, satisfaction, joy, as you're willing to experience the, the pain, the heartbreak or the despair. And so I think you're, you're doing a wonderful job of articulating um, you know, how those pieces show up in life. And, and even, you know, like you mentioned, the, the highlight was being on the beach in the sand with your family, you know, and, and I say the same thing when I left my, my role, my most previous role, um, one of the biggest factors was the fact that I didn't get to see my son in the morning before he woke up. I had to leave the house before he was there. And that just didn't sit right with me. That didn't make me happy. Um, Another piece, too, though, that I want to dig into, and you mentioned, you know, the peaks and valleys, man, you know, and I, I, we all got them, you know, we, we all got them. Everyone. Hello, everybody, and welcome back to the Dash Podcast. I'm your host, Trey Gamage, and every episode, we aim to bring you educators who are solving problems for school communities, and this episode is no different. We've got Robert Dunlop, the author of Strive for Happiness in Education, and we're going to talk about his story and his journey. Yeah, how about if I do that, you can see. We'll talk about his journey and how um, Robert hit a wall and decided to choose to be happy. Before we get into the episode, I want to remind you to subscribe to our channel on YouTube at SEO Educators. You can also find us on social media at Trey Gamage and our websites at both of those same names. So with that being said, Robert, how you doing today? I'm fantastic, man. I'm just excited to get to talk to you again, Trey. Likewise, likewise. I, I, I'll go back. I've had a chance to interview with and with and interview multiple folks from the Teach Better team and the Teach Better conference. So I'm super excited to talk with you now. Um, now that we're out of the metaverse, so to speak, when we put our goggles on and went to uh, the Teach Better conference, we're in our, our regular elements now. Um, I know that's a little backwards, but excited to talk to you and meet you at the conference as well. Um, you know, I feel like we kind of hit it off and I even see some similarities between your book, Strive for Happiness in Education and my book for students, Every Decision Counts. And so, um, man, can you just give me the overall premise? You've, you've got the whole book map already there behind you. Can you kind of break down for us how the idea for Strive for Happiness came about? Yeah, it was, it was, uh, it was, it came out of a, I like to talk about peaks and valleys a lot, but it came out of definite valley. I was, you know, when I came into education, I actually left the job being a personal trainer for a millionaire and flying all over the world. And when I came in education, I came in with this, like I wanted to have an impact in the world. And I had all these high expectations of what I was going to do. And it was going great and everything was going in that direction. And, you know, 12 years in, I started to, I started to get a little lose focus. I, I wasn't as happy. I wasn't as engaged. I wasn't as motivated. And I was seeing teachers around me in um, a state that I just did not want to go to. Mm. And so it actually came from a moment where I was in a lot of turmoil with an administrator and um, I just wasn't a good place and they were going to transfer me. And I was just like, you know what, maybe this isn't for me anymore. And mm. uh, I was one signature away at one point from leaving education altogether. Wow. And, that's when I realized I had to do some work. I, I, I started to reflect on it and think about how much I loved it. And I love being with the students and I love the extracurriculars. And I actually still love the pedagogy. There were so much pieces I loved about it. 
I just had to figure out how I got back there. So I never set out to write a book, Dre. I just, I set out to do some self-therapy and self-reflection mm. and, and try and reconnect to what I really loved about education. And the end result ended up being a book. But um, the most important part for me was I found it again. I, I got back mm. to where I wanted to be. And now I feel like I have the tools that will help me stay here, stay happy, stay motivated within education. Yeah, I, I like that. And so if, if you think back, Robert, I think like um, awareness is huge, self-awareness, social awareness. What were the indicators that you weren't happy anymore? Like you said, you saw some teachers and you didn't want to end up there. Like, how did you know that that was the path that you were on? It was just what I was choosing to focus on, to be honest. And when I do reflect on that, it was like I was like, I was worried about all the noise. I got caught up in the politics, and the noise, all, all this stuff. Like, and then, you know, through like my book, part of like my journey was like I would meet teachers who were still loving teaching and I would interview them and talk to them and I'd take them out for coffee, whatever they wanted. And I just wanted to get into their heads a little bit. And, you know, for me, I started to realize that they are like hyper-focused on like students and learning and they're keeping their eyes on the right thing. And uh, I was, I was somewhere else. And I, you know, that was, that was a key moment for me to realize that the happiness, where the happiness lies for me is with the kids and, and is with the pedagogy. And, mm. you know, I've really done like a lot of work on blocking out the noise and keeping a really positive perspective around coming to work every day. Yeah, yeah, that's good. Um, was it tough? Like, how long did the journey take you, would you say, from when you realized you were in that valley? How long did it take to get you back to a peak? Oh, man, I think, I think we're always on the journey for happiness, right? And just in general, it's like, I think part of like my like feeling why I like the peaks and valleys approach is that it's natural like we're going to like I'll have more valleys in my career and I'm and I just got to come to terms with that I just got to be okay with that and you know for me like I remember one point where the first real deep valley I was in where I was like going to get administratively transferred I was really looking to just shut it down at one point I had got out of that valley and I, I you know I started thinking about like motivation and the ideas and, and reading a lot about it and I remember presenting my first ever keynote on um, happiness and I do this happiness timeline where I draw it out and I was going through this happiness timeline talking about the lessons I learned in these valleys and that day I tell you if you said continue that line you drew I thought I was going to go gradually up I thought I figured it up and mm. uh, I would say six months later I was back in a valley wow. just as deep Dang. struggling just as bad and that yeah. was the one where I was actually one signature away from just walking away from it all mm. and but like like the idea is that like the most important lessons we learn are in those valleys. And um, I think for me, that was, that was, that was surprising that I ended up back in there with like the knowledge base I'd been developing, but it also showed me that I need, I needed some more work to do. And in that Valley, I, I learned a lot about like positive realities and, you know, focusing on the positive and, you know, strategies. I, I, I found the strategy that really worked for me. I read in the book uh, before happiness by Sean Acor. And it said that happy and successful people can see multiple realities of the same situation. Hmm. Well, in that moment, I can only see one reality. And it was a real bad one. It was a real dark one. And I wanted out. And when I read that, it's kind of embarrassing to tell you about. But when I, I read this chapter by Sean Acor and I went to bed and 
and I was doing it over my sleep, I guess. And I woke up and like my eyes welled shut with tears the next morning. And it was a flush of gratitude. I, mm. I for months and months, I couldn't see the people I was working with, yeah. the skills I'd been developing, the wow. impact I was having on the board. I was just hyper-focused on something that happened that I didn't like. And I was just grabbing everything to support that and ruminating on it, separating. And it, 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 it just became a really dark space. And it was, it was insane to just think that I could wake up one morning and select a different reality. And uh, I do this all the time. Like when I do my keynotes and talks with people, I tell them about situations where when I'm really struggling now, I actually try to like, just get my feet on the ground, take some deep breaths. And I always, I was in my head, my, my number one thing is, what is the positive reality? What are you choosing to focus on? And what is the actual reality? And if you can choose a reality that has a positive outcome, you're going to move in that direction. This podcast is a proud member of the Teach Better Podcast Network. Better today, better tomorrow, and the podcast to get you there. Explore more podcasts at teachbetter.com slash podcasts. And we'll see you at the next episode. And that, that little shift in thinking for me um, has been crucial. And if I'm being totally transparent with you, I was in a bit of a valley at the beginning of this year. I, I was just struggling with some stuff um, at work and I was struggling. But you know what? I just now can get out of valleys quicker because I, I understand like that reflection piece of re- knowing where I'm at. I understand how I'm feeling. And then I have the tools now to kind of make that shift. And I, you know, I just addressed the issue. People were amazing. We just worked on it and boom, I'm back to being happy. Whereas I would say five, 10 years ago, I was, I would, this would just keep getting worse and worse and worse. And uh, I, yeah, I, I do think, and that's why I think what you do is really important when you're talking about SEL and, and students and, and bringing this to not just students, but also to educators, but like, like we need to be equipped with these skills and these abilities and these mindsets to um, deal with and cope with distress and, and build those relationships. And I really, when I um, it really enjoyed your session, by the way, I teach better, but when I look at the SEL and what you presented and all these other things I know about that, I think there's, there's a lot of aligns with what I've learned while writing this book. Uh, Robert, thank you for breaking that down for us. Uh, you mentioned um, a piece earlier in your conversation. You talked about multiple realities. And, and, I, and when I hear that, I think of um, like only being able to see the negative in your situation, only being able to see it from one point of view, and then being able to, it sounds like you had more of a paradigm shift. And instead of seeing it as um, an opportunity for failure, you saw it as an opportunity for growth and change. Can you kind of break that down a little more for me? Yeah, I'll give you an example because it might help you actually like, so like one summer when COVID hit, my wife's like, oh, we don't don't have a pool. So they're like, I was like, I'm gonna go buy one of those pop-up pools, right? So I buy this pop-up pool and my neighbors are like, you need to lay down sand. So I get two yards of sand. I have a big backyard. I wheelbarrow all these sands. I level it out. I, I put it on, I get it all built up. I'm sweating and I'm super excited. Well, then I read the instructions typical guy thing I guess and it says two things don't put it on sand and don't put it on grass I put it on both and so I was you know like I was angry like I was mad at myself I was embarrassed like you know I was I was you know my kids were excited and it wasn't going to happen and I remember at dinner just staring out at this mistake I made and just struggling with it 
And I just needed, I, I said to my wife, I just need some time. I remember sitting out on the back porch, looking at it and I'm, I'm sitting there thinking. And then I, and all of a sudden I started laughing. I was like, cause, and I, and I remember specifically saying to myself, what's the positive reality of this Rob? Like it's, it, that part's done, but what is, what, what are you missing? And so my wife comes out and I, she says, okay, like packing into the day. It's like, okay. So, but I'm in a totally different mindset. I wake up at like five the next morning and I'm out there and I'm shoveling, leveling grass, everything. And you know what happened Trey, the next day? I had a pool and a, and a beach in my backyard. And it was the ability to like not get caught up in that and ruminate on that negative. It was being positive enough to say, okay, what is a positive? What, what could come out of this? And, you know, I will tell you, my kids, myself, when we look back on COVID and that year, that was the number one moment. Just sitting, playing in the sand in my own backyard. Mm. It was just an incredible experience. And yeah. I do this all the time now when I, but it, sometimes it's harder than others. Depends on how traumatized I am by what's going on. I'm a very emotional person, right? So like it, it can go, it can run hot or cold. It can be, but for me, it's just about like, okay, when I am, struggling with something like I need I need that so that one totally works for me yeah I, I think um man I like that I like thank you for connecting the dots between like the valley and the peak and being able to be in the pool on the sand doing those things and there's somebody I, I have it somewhere in my book that said life is like a pendulum and you can only experience the level of um happiness satisfaction joy as you're willing to experience the the pain the heartbreak or the despair and so i think you're you're doing a wonderful job of articulating um you know how those pieces show up in life and and even you know like you mentioned the the highlight was being on the beach in the sand with your family you know and and i say the same thing when i left my my role, my most previous role, um, one of the biggest factors was the fact that I didn't get to see my son in the morning before he woke up. I had to leave the house before he was there. And that just didn't sit right with me. That didn't make me happy. Um, another piece too, though, that I want to dig into, and you mentioned, you know, the peaks and valleys, man, you know, and I, I, we all got them. You know, we, we all got them, and, and, you know, there's no need to, um, you don't have to apologize for them or justify them. It just is what it is. And, and so I can appreciate uh, you mentioned building the skills and, and you, Zig Ziglar, or Jim Rohn says, don't wish life was easier, wish you were better. And, and yeah, you, yeah. you made yourself better instead of wishing things were easier for you. Initially, you you only saw what was wrong. Robert, again, I appreciate you, you know, taking the time to work on yourself Actually, most people end up getting stuck. Les Brown says that uh, most people will live the same life 75 times or the same year 75 times and call it a life. And a lot of times when folks hit that glass ceiling, they end up just staying stuck there. Now, STRIVE is an acronym for students, team, routines, innovate, viability, extraordinary. I'm sure there's a succession in them. I'm sure there's a rhyme and reason to them. But for you, which one do you think was the most important to pull you out of your valley? Or yeah, I'll start there. Which one was most important to pull you out of your valley? Yeah, I, yeah. For me, like it, it just depends. I think each of them has a space where you need them the most, right? So, like for me, like one of the most surprising things while writing the book and and kind of not knowing where it's going to go, I kind of ended up with this framework of strive. 
kind of fit the ideas and the research I was building, but was the routines was very interesting to me mm -hmm. because I started to look into Charles Douglas work and about the power of habits and trying to learn about that. And I remember the specific day I, I called my publisher and I said, I got an issue and she's, what's your issue? I said, well, I have this structure and I, like, I have so many, I have so many pages for, for students. I have so many pages for team. And then I hit routines and I was like, I can't keep it to that number of pages. And she mm. goes, what do you mean? I said, it's going to be like triple, quadruple the number of pages. And these, I was in my mind, very linear thinking. Yeah. And she asked a very amazing question. She goes, is it that important? I was like, yeah, uh. what I'm learning is it's that important. And so what I realized is like, uh, I like to quote Suzanne Daly on this is like happiness is a discipline. Right. And it's like, you know, for someone like me, it's like putting in the time and going back to the peaks and valleys, I feel like what I've learned is when you are in like a valley, you're in a good spot. Like it's, it's, it's a great time to start developing those routines, whether for me, like I'm in a nice spot right now, I'm really working on my fitness. I'm practicing gratitude. I'm, I'm looking for other small things that I can, I'm tweak. So I know when the valley comes mm -hmm. that I, I, I've developed more, these more skills. I think some, what's a very challenging, challenging thing to do is when you're really, really struggling to, to, to implement these things because you're in a bad spot already you don't have these these routines and habits in place yeah. you know um a, a great book is atomic habits and he does a really good part about saying like from like you know everyone's got goals he says winners and losers both have goals mm. it's the systems that that help them get out like it's the routines but then he goes on to even go deeper which i love and he says eventually it becomes part of your identity mm. and so if you look at like a marathon runner like the goal every, like tons of people have the goal the goal to run a marathon but it's right. the systems it's when you're running how yeah. you're running how often yeah. which shoes you're wearing it's these systems right but eventually you become a runner and you wear the running shoes you wear Sacconi, you mm. wear the brands you look like a runner you talk to runners you hang out with runners you read about runners like that is your that is your identity yeah and part of my my thing is i want my identity to be someone that's happy and positive right so i'm trying to get to that point where like i continually fuel myself that. and then when i'm in a good spot when i'm on a peak i'm, I'm not i'm not stopping there i don't think like when you know some people like and there's so many things about like happiness when you read like because people will say well it's not you shouldn't go for happiness you should go for joy or you know you never achieve happiness and like i i, I think that's totally true i don't i, I think it's semantics between happiness and joy yeah, yeah. but the idea that you're going to be happy is, is like consistently it's not true going back to like and you talked about the pendulum i when i'm in workshops with teachers i always do this happiness timeline and they can start at the beginning of their career and they draw this line that goes up and down on an x and y axis and I'll guarantee you this. Well, not guarantee. I'll tell you this 100%. I've done it like a thousand times. I've never seen a straight line. I've never mm -hmm. seen a line that gradually goes up. And when, when people do it in a room with other people, especially when there's no administrators there, they, they feel comfort in going, well, you have peaks and valleys too. And when, once, you, once you see that valleys are natural, you don't panic as bad in yeah. the valley. Yeah. You know, like the idea of pessimism is that you don't see that permanence you don't see that way out like you're just stuck and it feels like it's never going to end whereas if you are I, I like a like an optimist i like the phrase a rational optimist meaning mm. you 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 take into account what's actually going on but you know that through your behaviors you'll be able to get out of that become your best self with bestself.co they have 90-day journals, six-month action plans, daily journals, gratitude cards, relationship cards, 
all kinds of things to help you become a better version of yourself. Visit bestself.co and use the code GAMAGE for 15% off your next order. Um, that's, that's what we really need to develop, right? So, because we know these times are coming, how are we going to how are we going to prepare for that for when it comes that, you know, we can spend less time in there, learn the lesson quicker, look around, find a different way up the, up the hill and, and get ourselves back to a space where we are at our best, right? Like that is the important part with, with regards to educators is I wrote on the front of my book, there's nothing more powerful than an educator who loves coming to school every day. And if, if people want us to care for their kids and, and develop these like, socially emotional well-being and children we have to be there ourselves too it's really hard to to do that when, when we're struggling with all the things we're struggling with mm-hmm. and that's where my bias comes in that i think that's what districts need to focus a lot on is is these like sel skills and and getting people's mindsets in the right place i think it should be a priority right now because yeah. i'm telling you i'm in a large district i present for a ton of districts and everyone's struggling. And when I've done my talk, I get lineups of people and they tell me about how bad they were struggling and how helpful it was to, you know, get some strategies or Mm -hmm. even just be inspired that they can get out. Like that's the big one. It's, is I find with kids in my class, I used to always see kids who were struggling and I knew that it was getting the ball rolling was the number one thing. Once that ball's in play and moving, it's easy to keep rolling. It just gets better and better. So when I'm working with educators, my, my idea is like, how do I get that rolling? And once we start rolling, we get, we get up that hill really fast, mm-hmm. regardless of how steep it is. I think we have the ability. And the pro is, is that then that student gets the best version of that teacher yeah. in front of the classroom. Yeah. Yeah. Objects in motion stay in motion. So when you can build the momentum, you know, a lot of times with procrastination, we're just overestimating how long or how hard something is going to be. But when you can switch off and just start to build the momentum, that thing never takes as long as it should. I actually just wrote a blog for the Teach Better team that'll probably be out by the time this this episode comes out about morning routines. Um, could you talk to me about some routines that are important for you? I know we you know reference like bikers and some of the routines they may have. What kind of routines help you stay happy and successful? Well, number one, hands down, I found it when writing the chapter on my book, Gratitude. Like I, I was always would say I'm a grateful person, but there's a difference between being grateful kind of and actually intentionally practicing gratitude daily. Uh, since I found this app called Happy Feed, download on my phone. Everyone I tell about this, they love it. I've been using it for like 1,420 days straight. Wow. I haven't stopped. I, I record three things a day. I probably have 4,000, 5,000 memories in this phone. At any point I'm struggling, my number one go-to is to go back to that app. It's got this feature where you shake your phone and it pops up a random memory. So when you feel like life isn't good and you don't, and you're struggling, you know, you watch people in like hospital rooms, right? Like I, I my mom's sick and I mean, we were in these rooms with her and like, you know, you see people, they're on their phones, looking at Facebook, social media, Instagram, and they're looking at other people's lives and, and all the great things that's going on in their worlds. Whereas that's not, that's not helping them. But when I'm in those rooms, I'm looking at my life and I'm searching out my mom. And it's actually got this cool feature where I can type in someone's name. Like I'll, like I'll, you're, you will make it, you made it at teach better, but you'll make it again 
tonight I'll write Trey on my phone and I'll get all these messages. So for me, and I use those messages as gifts sometimes because Mm -hmm. I like, say, I know someone's down. I'll just search their name up, print them all off and say, Hey, 28 times in the last year, I I thought about you as you you were, you were one of the three highlights to my day. So hands down, hands down. Gratitude is, is something that I just will not go without. And what I really, I got injured. I, I hurt my ankle earlier this year and I was in rough shape. It wouldn't move for like eight months. And uh, I got out of shape and I felt my emotions going. I felt like the fog. I felt like not myself. I wasn't doing things in the evenings. I was watching TV all the time. And I was just like, so my ankle got repaired. And uh, it actually was just so serendipitous. At the same time, my best friend got hired at my job. He Mm. loves to work out. We have a gym there and we just start training. And that's like habit stacking though, right there. Cause yeah. not only am I getting the benefit of the blood and the muscles and everything moving, but then I'm socializing with someone I love and care about. And we've got, and now another guy on my staff mm. who's one of my other best friends is joining us. And I, I swear, I leave this building like blown up with like emotion, yeah. not just blood in my muscles, but I, I leave with my heart full every single time. So like, I realized that those two for me are like crucial. So if I'm not doing those, I'm, I'm, I'm struggling, yeah. but there's so many things like, yeah. like even just implementing more kindness into your life, you know, being like, you know, one thing I really made a focus of is like going to the staff room and just enjoying lunch. We have a no work policy in our staff room. Uh, one of the ladies is amazing. She's like militant on it. You mentioned work. She's like making some alarm noise. Wow. She doesn't let you at it. And so, and, and the one thing I want to point out, Trey, is that when I write that, those chapters, those sub chapters on routines, I don't do all of them. It's not that I, I'm a take, I just pick the ones that work for me. But mm-hmm. we talked about, you know, when we talked earlier one time, we, we talked about listening to your life. Here's a very interesting fact about habits and routines. If you do them so long, eventually it becomes so habitual that you get no emotional response. So I used to carry this rock in my pocket for mindfulness because I was struggling, like staying focused in, in, yeah. in the moment. And I, I carried it and it was working like crazy. Every time I was stressed, I was rubbing it. It was amazing. And then, you know what? Probably seven months later, I was just carrying a rock everywhere I went. I had no <laughs> meaning to me anymore. And yeah. now I, the rock's just over there on my counter. And when I'm struggling or I, I'm, there's a special moment or I feel like I want it with me, I pick it up and then it brings it back. So if we're not listening to our lives, sometimes yeah. we get in the habit of doing things like, and the same with working out. You just do the same workout for two yeah. years. You, you're not getting results. Yeah. You're not enjoying it. So yeah. like I learned a lot of things like that. So I actually go back to my book when I start to struggle and I try and flesh through and say like, and cause I, you know, mindfulness is tough for me right right now, mm-hmm. but I think there's going to be a point where mindfulness is one of those key mm-hmm. things that I'm doing all the time. Yeah. I think there's times in your life where you're ready for <laughs> it. And so I think it's all about listening to your life, reflecting on what's working, what's not working and then saying to yourself, well, what am I going to invest my time in to get myself to there? So yeah. the idea with the book is like, I just threw every great idea I had from different educators, blogs, audiobooks, everything into, mm. into paragraphs. And what my hope was, was the idea of mutual care where teachers would use their classrooms to, to not only use it for themselves and, and make it part of their lives, but also benefit the kids, right? So the idea of mutual care is that you're helping other people and getting that in return. So yeah. bringing like creating all this kindness in the classroom or 
you know, putting some DPA daily fitness in there, whatever it is, if you're doing it with the kids, I think it's a win-win for everyone. Yeah, absolutely. Happiness is a discipline. Yeah, I like how you how you put that. The wonderful, wonderful phrases that you mentioned. And again, reiterating or adding to your point, you know, I change my routines with the season. You know, when football season's on, I tend to stay up a little later. You, yeah, yeah, I got you. Know you. What it is. You know, <laughs> I, 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 I stay up a little later. I wake up a little later. Once football's over, I go to bed earlier. I wake up earlier. Um, I've just added to my routine since my child was born, Marcellus. I never, um, I haven't been back to a gym. But uh, this past week, I went and I signed up for a boxing class. And so I'm going to go to boxing once a week and my body's super sore because there's just something about pushing yourself past another level or changing up that routine to get to a new position. Um, Robert, man, I, I love every word that you've spoken tonight and um, you're definitely going to make me go to bed happy this evening. Is there any other final words or, or comments that you want to make to the audience that perhaps we didn't talk about yet? I think the number one thing I, I think when we, I usually leave my talks like this is that like for any educator listening is that not only does your students deserve the best version of you then and deserve to have this amazing teacher who loves to teach. I think that the big takeaway I'd like people to, to walk away with is that you, the educator, deserve that. This is an incredibly emotionally taxing profession. It's a caring profession. We put our hearts, our souls, we put our times, we put our, our spare time. We, you know, we, we put everything into this career um, for these students and we deserve to love it. We deserve to enjoy it. And, and, you know, part of that is once you realize that you deserve it, you're more willing to say, hey, I got to take care of this. I got to figure yeah. out what I got to do for me yeah in order to, to to help them and i think sometimes we don't we just and you know we and, and then in the book when we talk about those chapters on like viability it's like it's about how do you survive those times and i think mm -hmm. like it's it's a lot of taking care of yourself it's a lot of how you internally talk yeah. to yourself and how kind you are to yourself yeah. so i just think as educators like you know the book that really pivoted me from like learning about motivation as being the really important part to like pivoting to happiness was a book by Sean Acor, Happiness Advantage. And I'll just finish up quick, Trey. He says that, you know, we, we kind of are taught that if we work really hard, we'll become successful. And that's where happiness lies. Mm. He says we need to put happiness at the beginning of that equation and that we need to prioritize being happy, allow that happiness that we have to allow us to do things that we, we love and we're passionate about and doing it at the level we want to do it. And yeah, the end result success, but it's not just bigger office or yeah, more money. Yeah, yeah. The, the, the success we should be looking for is engagement, fulfillment, waking up every day and being like, yeah, grateful for the job we have. So I would say like, you know what, like if, if, if you should reflect and say, am I making happiness my priority? And if you're not, then, you know, I'd say give it a go. It's uh, you deserve mm -hmm. it. Mm -hmm. Man, I, man, you you just full of gems, full of energy, full of good stuff. Um, it seems like you're fueled up, just like your shirt. Happiness is my fuel, Robert. Yeah, I love this where, where do we find the book, man? Where do we find you on social media? Yeah, on social media, I'm at Rob Dunlop Edu. Uh, books on Amazon. Um, yeah, Twitter. I think I'm on Twitter, Instagram, LinkedIn. I'm on all those channels. But yeah, it reach out to me. I have a one of the things I'm really proud of is my website. I have motivated you.com mm. in there. I've housed 
the most inspiring collection of videos for educators, quotes. Um, I have a whole free staff wellness program where people are looking to like make it a priority in their schools and they want like jump off points. There's themes for every month, like kind of like the book. Uh, it's uh, highly, yeah, I really worked on like making it like uh, engaging to look at yeah. and just starting those conversations. And so, yeah. Uh, and the other thing with me is I, I, I like, I would do this if no one was watching. I would talk to you all night if, if, if I yeah, just had a chance. Too. So yeah, reach out and uh, even find me through my email. It's robdunlopedu at gmail.com. If you, if you are struggling, I'd love to try and help you out somewhere I can. Excellent, excellent, excellent. If you like this episode, share it with an educator who needs to hear it. Go check out Strive for Happiness in Education by Robert Dunlop on Amazon.com. Don't forget to check us out as well at SEOeducators.com or our new TreyGammons.com website. And as always, we'll see you next time. This is The Dash. Thanks for listening to us on The Dash Podcast. I definitely hope you enjoyed this episode. And if you liked it, share it with a friend, share it with an educator, share it with someone who needs to hear the message from this episode. You can visit our website, seleducators.com, to learn more about our online courses and professional development training for schools and districts. We'll see you next time. This is The Dash.